G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. We don't know the cause of mental illness. It doesn't mean that we cannot cure the disease. It doesn't mean that we're totally clueless about where to go from here. In fact, here we are again, the most read book in human existence, in human history. The Bible gives us a lot more information about this than we could ever imagine. So I'm in John 14. Let's read one of the stories that Jesus tells. And in verse 7, we're told that when a Samaritan woman came to draw water... Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. That is the water from the well. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines, pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. Anxiety and depression are more common now than ever. If we don't struggle with mental health, We probably know someone that does. Hello, thanks for joining me here on Today with Jeff Vines. We're about to begin a message with Pastor Jeff, another in the series looking at anxiety, depression and Jesus. Scripture offers us peace with mental health and shows us that anxiety and depression do not have to define us. In this message, Pastor Jeff is in John chapter 4. Let's see what it has to say about thriving with anxiety, depression and with Jesus. I'm in John chapter 4, verse 7 through 15. John 4, 7 through 15. Uh, The stats are out. According to John Hopkins University and Medical Center, how many people do you think died during COVID, of COVID or symptoms related to COVID? The real numbers are finally out. They've been released. And the answer is 0.0875% of the world's population died of COVID or COVID-related deaths. Now you think, what? Less than a percentage point? Well, yeah, but the world population is 8 billion, which means 7 million people died during COVID. So now I'm not here to talk about COVID and should we have shut down? Should we have locked down? No, that's not the point. The point is that's less than one percentage point. And by contrast, One in every four people on the planet, 25% of the world struggles with mental illness. Wow. Folks, that's, that's an epidemic. That's pandemic of epic proportions. Now, to understand what this means, we have to distinguish between mental illnesses like anxiety and depression and feelings of anxiety and depression. Let me give you a few examples of anxiety. My wife and I were on a flight from Brisbane Australia to Los Angeles a few years ago, and we got caught up in the jet stream, and the pilot came over the intercom and told us, we can't get out of this jet stream. We can't go high. We can't go low. We're going to be stuck in it until we get to LA. Now, the problem is when you're caught in the jet stream, you're bouncing up and down. You feel like you're in a, a washing machine just being thrown everywhere. And so I can tell you, I had a great fear of flying in those days, so I was anxious, but I didn't have the mental disorder of anxiety. I was just feeling anxious. You can feel anxious about something. You can refuse to study the night before a test 
And I guarantee when the teacher hands you the paper and it's time for the test, you're going to feel anxiety. Or if you're going on a date that you wish you would have never agreed to, you're going to experience some sense of anxiety. Same thing is true about depression. When your girlfriend breaks up with you, when you don't get into the college that you hope to get into, when your dog dies, you know, if you're a Raiders fan or an Angels fan, you know, you're going to be sad a lot because you're losers. I mean, you're, there's going to be sadness, but there's not going to be depression. Sadness and anxiety, those are not the same thing as mental illness. In fact, depression and anxiety are part and partial of the human experience whereby we desire something more that we're not getting or we feel that our lives are not going the way that our lives should go. So this brings anxiety, depression, sadness. Mental illness, and this is an important distinction to make, refers to something far more chronic. It's an overwhelming feeling of anxiety or depression that actually impacts your ability to function and to think clearly about life. It's debilitating. It's often unexplainable and even suicidal. You say suicidal? Absolutely. In fact, in the middle of the three years where I suffered from chronic anxiety disorder, I can tell you there were days that I contemplated, and I've made this very, very commonplace, There were days that I thought, if my life is going to be like this, if I'm going to wake up every night with my heart racing, with my pulse racing, I can't catch my breath, and this feeling of impending doom, if that's going to be the pattern of my life for the rest of my life, I would rather not live. So let me first of all say to you, for those who are contemplating suicide right now, which is more than most of us around have ever fathomed, can I say to you that your best days are ahead? Do not give up. Do not give in. This is creating something unique in you. I know you don't want to hear that now because I didn't want to hear that in the middle. This is creating something unique in you, something extraordinary can and will happen in you. And the evil one wants to circumvent the process by suicide. Don't give him the victory. Stay the course. Allow it to play out. This is ultimately happening for your deep, deep healing. Now, please follow me just for a moment. We don't don't know the cause of mental illness. However, that doesn't mean that we don't know anything about mental illness. It does not mean that we can only cure the symptoms through medicine that masks our feelings and emotions. We can do that, but it doesn't mean that's all we can do. It doesn't mean that we cannot cure the disease. It doesn't mean that we're totally clueless about where to go from here. In fact, here we are again, the most read book in human existence. In human history, the Bible gives us a lot more information about this than we could ever imagine. So I'm in John 14. Let's read one of the stories that Jesus tells. This is actually not a parable. This is an actual historical occurrence. And in verse 7, we're told that when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? The Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God, And who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. That is the water from the well. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water that I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up for eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. 
Every time I read Jesus' words to the woman at the well, I'm thinking, I'm, I'm reminded rather, I'm thinking about Isaiah 58. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a scorched sun land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Now follow me, just stay with me. The human brain is remarkably fascinating. There are 100 billion nerve cells in the brain, 100 billion. You think, how can they all fit in there? And within the brain is contained serotonin, the hormone responsible for moods. So moods like anxiety, depression, happiness, sadness, calmness, peace, all of those, you name the emotion or feeling, and it's impacted, that is, as it is physically manifested, perhaps even determined by serotonin levels in the body. Now, here's what you did not know, and here's what my anxiety disorder led me to discover. 95% of serotonin is produced and housed somewhere else other than the brain. Did you know that? Yes, you have serotonin levels in the brain. The balance can cause, or the imbalance can cause all kinds of issues. But 95% of serotonin levels are not in the brain. 95%. Do you know what? Would you like to guess where they are? Let me give you a hint. If you get a call, if you're a parent, and let's say you get a call, and the voice on the other end of the line says, I'm sorry to tell you that your daughter or your son has been in an accident. Where do you feel it first? The gut. Immediately, if you've ever gotten a call like that, you feel it down deep inside, a place you can't understand. Some people actually get sick. Some people actually pass out. 95% of serotonin chemicals that communicate with the rest of your body, these emotions, are discovered in the small intestines. Serotonin in the intestines function much like a second brain. When trauma occurs in your life, big or small, serotonin is released into the body. Information is released to the CNS, the, uh, the central nervous system. And as a result, the body reacts. Now, what is interesting is, though, is that even though the mind can block trauma and can suppress things, the gut does not. The gut is like a volcano that can store up all kinds of pressure over a long period of time. It's in our gut that these levels impact the way we feel. Something deep inside us has to deal, will deal eventually with what the mind refuses to admit. Have you ever heard anybody when they're giving you advice say, go with your gut? What do they mean by that? They're saying that your gut knows the truth that your mind and heart may not see at the moment. Go with your gut. Let me give you an illustration. Just stay with me for a moment now. I'm in Zimbabwe, which is my favorite place in the world to visit. I've been clear about that in times past with Victoria Falls, with the Shona people, my friend Denver Chizanga. This is a very peaceful place for me. And yet it was there when I stood up after having a cup of coffee at a cafe and I began to walk over to the bank. And halfway in that journey, I became so weak that I could not stand. Now, this is somebody who's lifted weights all of his life, been in good physical condition for all of his life. Suddenly, right then and there, I could not stand. My heart was racing. I was going to pass out. I had no idea what was happening. The first thing that came to my mind was that my mother died of a heart attack at 61. Here, maybe this is my heart attack. Maybe this is the end of my life. For six months, I went to the medical world to give me the answers what was happening. Nobody could tell me. 
Finally, somebody said to me, maybe it was a panic attack and that made me very angry because my immediate response was, no way, because I was in Zimbabwe, the happiest place of my life. I had no stress. I'm around people that I love. There were no pressures, no real difficulties. But later on, as you'll find out in this sermon, that's only because the mind kept pushing what the soul, the essential me, the gut knew very well. The mind kept pressing it down. The reason doctors can only treat the symptoms of mental illness is because they can't go where they need to go. That's not a slam on them. They treat the physical manifestations, not the root causes. They can't go deep into your gut. They can't go deep into your soul. And so out of mercy, they mask or shut off the brain. They attack the serotonin levels and balance you out through drugs. If you have too much sadness, they give you a happy pill. Now, I know you've met people, you wish they had some happy pills. Or if you have too much anxiety, they actually give you a depression pill. Now, it's not really a depression pill, but it works much the same way as it balances and evens things out. Make no mistake, however, you are not healed. You have a sophisticated Band-Aid, a Band-Aid for which I am very grateful. You say, wait, Jim, wait a minute. Why did you take things like Zoloft and Ativan? If they masked the problem, why did you do that? If you ask that question, no offense, but it's because you've never had a mental illness. And second, when you're in a fog or a daze, when your body's telling you to run or flee, you can't think clearly. It's too late at that point. The technical term for anxiety disorder is impending doom. So the body goes into flight mode. You can't think clearly when you are running for your life. Your heart is palpitating. Your pulse is off the charts. Your vision is blurred. Even your balance is off. I remember going to the emergency room in the middle of this difficult season. I couldn't walk from the car into the emergency room because this is, disorder affects different people different ways. It's not uniform. The same thing is in depression. There's a deep darkness of the mind that you can't explain and you, think, you can't think clearly when you're falling through a dark hole. And there's fear and doubt is overwhelming to the point that you don't want to live anymore. Depression is more than sadness, folks. It's hopelessness. It's the inability, not the refusal. It is the inability to see the light at the end of the tunnel. Do you know what Zoloft did for me? It pushed back the darkness and confusion so that I could begin to think clearly, pour over scripture, engage God in prayer, and contemplate my life as Jesus went into my places that no one else could go. And I want to tell you, standing here today, it is true. He is wonderful, counselor, prince of peace. Now, stay with me. What was the problem with the woman at the well? You know, we just had a, a conference called Hearts of Beauty. And the stories that come out of that are amazing. You have women who enter this place who through their thinking have been able to press down wounds that they've had for a long time. The problem is even though they pressed it down here, their gut still knows it's there and it's building like a volcano. And if it's not dealt with over time, it will explode. So they discover what they've pressed down and they deal one-on-one -on -one with these wounds that are there. And the Spirit of God comes into that place and opens their eyes to the healing power of Christ. And when they do that, they circumvent all the potential illnesses that can come as a result of pressing things down 
that sooner or later you have to deal with. Think about it for a moment. What makes a woman, as we go back to John 4, what makes a woman sleep with every man that they meet? You say, well, she's loose. She's looking for affirmation and approval that she never got probably from her father. Now, not every woman who doesn't get that approval responds this way. But there are many young girls who never get from their father what they needed desperately from their father. They need proof that they matter. So they engage in apocalyptic hookups. There's an issue deep, deep down inside, the feeling of failure and insignificance and worthlessness. And so men become their saviors and men were never designed to be saviors. Ask any married woman that, she'll tell you. So the way that she's dealing with her feeling of insignificance and unworthiness is actually not healing her, but destroying her life. Jesus knows what she's looking for and he knows he's the only one that can go down deep. He's the only one that can give her what it is she's looking for. So in verse 13, Jesus answers, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now there are two kinds of life, right? Physical and spiritual. You cannot survive physically without water, but you know, as we've said before, you are more than your body. This is the outer tent, the outer shell, the essential you, the real you, the spiritual, the soul also needs spiritual water. So the essential you, the soul needs nourishment in order to endure what life is going to throw at every single one of us. Remember creation, fall, redemption. We're in the fall. It's going to make serious efforts to destroy us. So Jesus tells the woman at the well that he offers the kind of spiritual healing. And the original language is beautiful here. That will well up. Halomanu is the Greek word. And it means to start way down deep and to flow outward. The etymology refers to the gut. Here we are again. So that what happens in the gut will ultimately in time spread to the outer regions. The Old Testament prophets look forward to a time when living waters would flow from Jerusalem. Ezekiel 47, 9, swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. But there's something else. Living waters in the Old Testament is also a metaphor for the relationship between spirit, God's spirit in us, and God's truth and how they respond and react together to bring healing. The spirit, God in us, truth, God's word in us. A good example, again, is it Ezekiel, only this time, verse 36, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees, the word, and be careful to keep my laws. So there is a relationship between spirit, Christ's power, and the truth, Christ's word. There's this inseparable relation between these two. Look at it like this. The spirit without the truth or the word is unpredictable, untrustworthy, and unproductive. The word, however, without the spirit is passionless, legalistic, and oppressive. But together, the word and the spirit brings life that begins way down deep and begins to flow outward to all of its parts. In fact, when we are experiencing joy on a soul level, in our bellies or intestines, deep down inside, 
there is a naturally, perfectly balanced productivity of serotonin. Now, I want to say that again. So we're combining what is spiritual and scientific at the same time. When we are experiencing joy in a soul level, in our bellies or intestines, deep down inside, there is a naturally, perfectly balanced productivity of serotonin. Nehemiah put it like this. The joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Now stay with me, keep going. What was really going on with me in my years of anxiety disorder? Well, okay, you know, I'm in retrospect now. It's been a while. So I wanna share with you what I've discovered in this journey. My father had died a couple of months before these attacks started. Now, my mother had died, and I dealt with that. That's been 10, that was 10, 11, 12 years before my father died. But my father died on my birthday. And that had more damage. That did something to me. I can't really explain, and I can't really fathom it, really, but I knew that something shook me. My best friend died a few weeks after the death of my, my father. My mom's death was creeping up in my life again, not to the fact that she died, because I knew she was with Jesus, but the fact of her age, she died so young and I'm creeping near that age with every passing year. Over time, I realized there were two things playing a role that had been pressed down into the gut that the brain was suppressing, but it was building up over time. One was the fear of death. Now, you would think a pastor would not be afraid of dying because he knows what's next. I can't really explain it. When people around me started dying that were my age, when my mom, my dad died, my best friend died, I kind of pressed it down. I told myself, I spoke words to myself, but I, I, I don't think I was very convincing. It was like, I'm not ready to die. I have so much more I need to accomplish. And that was on the other side of the spectrum because I grew up in a family that, was, that praised athleticism. I was one of four brothers but I was the only one that was athletic. Therefore, as I look back now, I know that I received the praise and the honor, even the worship with a small W that I know that my brothers long for. But I also learned very early in my life that you are praised and adored based on performance. So I start to carry that with me throughout my entire life and I get caught up in this performance trap. My significance, my feelings of worth or worthiness come from what have I done lately? What have I achieved? What have I accomplished? Where people will look from the outside in and say, wow, look at how awesome this person is. So I've got this fear of death going on that I've not accomplished what I want to accomplish in my life. And this death cloud hangs over me. And then I've got this idea that I've not accomplished and I'm not accomplishing what I've set out to accomplish. So I've got this fear of death coupled with this fear of failure. And all of that is hidden and pressed down. I had something that was welling up within me and flowing to other places, death and underachievement. And over time, because that was pressed down, the serotonin levels began to change. Did you know that? You can change the serotonin balance in your brain and in your gut by your response to the tragedy or traumas of life. So over time, the serotonin levels began to change. This deep wound of performance and perfectionism and achievement for significance began to alter the balance of serotonin. So much so that it sent a message to my central nervous system that my soul was becoming undone. What my brain refused to deal with, my gut was storing up. And now 
because of the serotonin levels out of balance, because there's no centralized joy in my life, I began to disintegrate. And in order to stop the total collapse, the body reacted in order to tell me that something is wrong. And if it is not dealt with, it will ultimately destroy me. Have you ever thought looking at your mental illness this way, your depression, your anxiety, it's the body trying and attempting to save itself. Something's out of whack. Something's not right. And your soul knows it. Your brain may shove it aside, but your soul, the essential you, your gut knows it. And now it's going to send a signal to your central nervous system, to your body, that you have got to deal with the disease, not just mask the symptoms. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Thanks for joining us. Next time, we'll bring you the rest of this message from Pastor Jeff. According to Scripture, the Holy Spirit is in you. The waters are there. That's proof of your conversion. It is then the Word of God, the voice of God, as it saturates your deepest parts that will begin to bring life and vitality and break the dam where the waters began to flow. Living waters that has the potential to flow out and beyond. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts. You make me Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.